Well, we're starting a new series called Finding Joy, and I want to invite you even now to go ahead on your chats right there, whether you're on our website or on Facebook Live, and just to write down what you're missing right now. Put a few things in the chat box that you are deeply missing right now. They could be people, they could be activities, they could be various areas that you're missing. I know for me, even this morning as I drove in to our Spring Lake campus, I just miss people. I miss an empty parking lot and not getting to connect and hang out and only seem to run into people. And the few times I go out for something like a, a groceries, I manage to see a few, but it's just kind of that ache of being alone. Even as you're writing them down and looking at them, I want to encourage any of you right now that are in that place where through this pandemic, you've become unemployed or underemployed. We want to know who you are. We hate the fact that we really don't know what's going on. And so you'll see at the bottom of your screen, the word work, and then the number to text it to you. We would like you to text that word and that will tell us, you'll get a prompt back that you're right now going through unemployment or underemployment. We can't care, pray for, encourage when we don't know. And so I want to invite you even now to engage that way. And that would be one of those areas I think we all would agree is really difficult right now. In fact, this idea of finding joy, to think I can find joy in the midst of this mess, how is that even possible? And so I want to begin really with a picture that maybe will give us a window into where we hope to go in these five weeks coming up. In the picture, I want you to go back with me. The year is 1981. It's June 6th. One Christian author tells of this story where Doug and Sylvia had just gotten married there. They've headed to the hotel they're going to be staying at. They have a bridal suite there. And they are taken up late at night to the bridal suite. They open the door. The person helping them leaves. And as the door closes, they look around and they simply see a couch, a table, some chairs. But as they look around in this beautiful bridal suite, there's no bed. And they're quite confused by it. They look all over the place, can't find anything. Finally, they realize that the the sofa itself turns into a bed. And they go, okay, I guess this is it. And they end up laying down in the bed. They wake up in the morning, both with sore backs and much more irritated that this is not what they thought it would be, all that they thought it should be. And even for the hotel, under-promising on what they actually under-delivering, really, on what they promised. He heads downstairs and begins to give the person at the counter uh, an earful. And the person asks one question that throws Doug into dramatic confusion, saying, well, did you open the door? Doug, confused, decides to run back upstairs, walks back in. His wife asks what happened, and he walks over to what he was sure was a closet door. And as he opens it, he discovers behind there is this beautiful bedroom with fruit and chocolates and all sorts of other decorations that they just had not given access to. They didn't realize it was right in front of them. And I give us that picture today because I want to encourage, challenge, and maybe even in my own journey, am discovering with you, you know what? I think what we think is meaningful and joyful and peaceful and bringing happiness isn't what we thought it would be. But maybe God has a door for us to open, a new understanding, a new way of thinking about it, of discovering it, that will bring us to a new engagement of life, even in the uncertainty we're living in. I was reminded of the uncertainty even this morning interacting with one of our volunteers that, you know, in that core, very bare bones of what we're doing, 
spoke of the fact that their teacher and said, you know, I just realized we've only had five weeks of not being in school. We have seven more to go. It's like, oh, we haven't even hit the halfway point. Now that doesn't mean what the rest of life will be, but how do you find joy when you don't know what's coming? How, how do you find joy in the midst of this confusion and uncertainty that we're living in, that you and I are living in? And what I wanna use this morning is this word contentment to give image to the idea of joy that contentment ultimately literally means to live in peace and joy. And it's a word the scriptures even use, though joy itself is one that's used often. And I want you to consider this as we enter this journey together this morning. On the journey to contentment, I want you to ask what it requires. Does it require? And I'm gonna give you three options and I want you to consider what you think this journey is about. Is this a journey of independence? In other words, does it mean it's my journey, it's your journey, we have it individually and alone? Is it a journey of interdependence that we're intertwined and we need one another to actually discover contentment? Or even more, is it a journey of dependence that we cannot do and there needs to be help to do it? I want you just to consider this and I'm gonna take you to a passage in the book of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul, this early church reader, writes to this church in Philippi. Paul, at this time, is in Rome. He's in prison. And I'll just say this going into that the, the letter to the, the church in Philippi, he uses the word joy 16 times in the letter. In other words, in the midst of his difficulty and circumstance, he keeps speaking of this idea of joy. There's something beautiful he's discovering about it and he wants the church to get it too. And so we're gonna take a look at this aspect of the letter. It's in the fourth chapter. It's just one section and it literally begins with the idea of joy. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but it, you had no opportunity to show it. Now it's very interesting if you're asking the question of is it about independence, is it dependence, or is it, in a sense, interdependence? This would begin with this idea of joy that perhaps it's interdependent, though interestingly, they don't do anything with it. In other words, they can't actually show, they can't dispense what it is. And I'll just tell you this from the beginning. Watch how many times you see him say, I, I rejoiced, I knew, I saw. In fact, you will see from this passage I'll just telegraph to begin with, there's quite an independence. Paul's talking about himself and his own journey and his role. You might even say from the beginning, oh, maybe it is something I have to understand. No one can help me discover contentment or joy. I have to do this on my own. Now let me continue with where Paul goes in these short few verses. He again says, I'm not saying this because I have need, for I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I mean, what an interesting statement. And by the way, how has he done it? He's learned. He's learned to be content. Now we might say very simply, Paul is giving us a picture of the fact, first of all, that it's a journey because when he says, I've learned, this idea in the Greek language speaks of an ongoing process that's happening or that's happened and it's taken time to get there. He's learned by experience. In other words, before we say anything else, the journey of finding joy, the journey of contentment is just that. It is a journey. 
You're not gonna leave our time today and go, oh, guess what? A switch flipped and suddenly I have contentment. But what you will begin to see, I think, what we'll begin to be challenged by is in our journey of life, we can learn what it means to be content. We can learn to find joy regardless of our circumstances. It's a different journey. It's a new door that we want to open. Something we didn't even realize was there, perhaps. Even as you look back on your own list that we chatted about a little earlier today, I wonder what things you have, I have, put in that list to say, oh, I've always been a joyful person, but it was because of the way I lived or because of this circumstance or because of what's going on, I had joy. It wasn't really contentment. It was circumstance. Something had happened that had made life a little better. I was leaning on that independently of anything else. I'm telling you because Paul is telling us he's learned it through his life and experience. Now, this is a guy who's been through a lot. We'll come back to that. But Paul is writing as an older believer now, someone who's lived through a lot of situations, and he's giving us wisdom. He's sitting in prison in a place he doesn't think he'll ever come out of. Life is not looking like it will get better for him, and yet he's writing, I've learned the secret. I've learned this beautiful journey that I can be content whatever comes. Again, it points to his own journey independently that he has to come to. Now he continues in writing about this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Now, in case you don't know Paul's journey, and I'm not at all suggesting you should, Paul has been through a lot. Paul, in his early life, his life is known as Saul, was a Jew of Jews. Paul had everything you could imagine going for him, and Paul was an independent driver. This guy accomplished everything he could. There were seven levels of Phariseeism. He had gone to the highest level. In other words, he had worked really hard to get where he was going. He was also by birth a Roman citizen. He had the best of both worlds, in a sense, of Jewish life and of Roman culture. Everything was going for him. He had the life you would always want. And then Jesus meets him and throws upheaval to all of his seemingly joyful, content life. Paul, by this time, is going through so much in struggle that he has times where he's in difficulty and people in every city want to kill him. There's several where there's an uprising in a public arena and they want to take him out and kill him. He's like, I'll go in there anyway. And his friends are going, hey, dude, don't go in there. You're going to get taken out. I mean, he just doesn't care. We don't even know why. How can he live this way? He goes on a ship that gets shipwrecked. He goes through misery in every town. Every place he goes, the spirit reminds him, hey, you're going to go through difficulty and torture. Life's going to get hard for you. You're going to have times where you don't even have anything to eat. You don't know what will come in the next day. You'll be beaten and torn down and struggle. And yet Paul says in all this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, I've lived through these different circumstances. And yet he's telling us something is different. And he goes on then to say what it is. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now tell me that's not a powerful word for us today. I mean, aren't we sitting, many of us, in circumstances we really don't know what new normal will be. 
We don't know how long or how difficult or how deep this hole will get. For some of us here right now, it's been tragedy in the last weeks. That's not resolvable. We've lost loved ones. We've had just difficulties that we can't fix or reverse. We're in economic struggle and situation. Our home lives are getting more tense and beaten down just in how we relate to one another. And yet Paul says these powerful words, I've learned the secret, this secret of being content. I love this, this word, the secret. It actually in the Greek means mystery. Paul's saying there's a mystery to this, and it's often a word we use to describe many things of faith, but even if you're not a person of faith, I think you can understand mystery if you consider it this way. There's a mystery to us of the things we learn over the course of our lives. Now, we would very much say God is in the midst of that. I think of mysteries that have been real to me over my life. You know, I think I've learned about the the secret and the mystery in the midst of grief because I've journeyed through it many times with many people. You know, when you walk through it, you discover that this mystery of just being present and not grieving alone is a power that's inexplainable. It doesn't fix it, but it changes everything. It's funny, we learn mysteries through the course of our lives. I think of leadership, and it's a mystery, the fact that to truly lead well, you actually have to serve well. In other words, you have to deal with the interior motives and be about other people and not yourself. That's a mystery, Or the mystery and the secret of married life moving into oneness, I think, is founded in these beautiful understanding of your own sinfulness and the pain you cause to the one you love most, at the same time resolving and loving them in the midst of the pain they cause. And even through all of that, loving each other in the good things you see. That's a mystery to me. Learning to love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven. There's mystery in that. There's something that happens through a life of experience that is mysterious and wonderful. And Paul very simply is saying, this mystery I've learned because of all that I've been through. In other words, have you ever considered that the circumstance you're in right now, not at all saying God would cause it to happen, but God will take it and somehow use it to let you discover the mystery of contentment. There's a wonderful picture for this that uh, Philip Yancey tells. He talks about an individual going to a monastery and uh, it's a a monastic retreat they're going on and they go to the room and one of the monastic leaders says, hey, let us know if you need anything and we will teach you how to live without it. In other words, there's a time to discover what you think you need, you don't need. I kind of wonder for all of us. I know for me, I've been wrestling with things I would have never told you I relied on for my joy and my peace that now that they're absent, I'm suddenly realizing there's more I relied on to be happy or peaceful than what really matters or what really is true. Paul is saying in the midst of all I've gone through, I understand this. Something changed for me. And then finally, after all of this, he gives explanation to it. And he says this, I can do all this. Now, I want to stop for a minute. It will continue. But Paul in this entire section has been very Roman in the way he's approached it. I've done this. I've joyfully seen that. I realize what's happened there. I've lived through that. And now he says, I can do all this. Now, I just want to stop right there. That is an independent life. Paul is appealing to the culture around him. Everything in Rome is about independence. 
hey, if it is to be, it's up to me. You need to have some grit. You need to grow through this. You need to build that muscle of independence and fortitude. You'll discover the minute, this mystery on your own. It will be based on you. That's how you're to do it. Don't you look to other people. You need to grow up in this thing. Fascinating to consider our own heroes in our own culture. If you think about those who are heroes in the world around us, in our own nation, in our own modern world, we pick people who overcome on their own. We believe that independent living and living well is what will achieve what we need. We believe that if you work hard and you do the right things, you'll get the right results. And then we call it a blessed life because life goes well. We know how to live in plenty and we know how the equation's supposed to go. And now when it doesn't, we're suddenly looking around the room going, this is not the room I thought it would be. Where is there a door for something else? And I stopped there because this is an incompleteness of what Paul says. In fact, it really, at this point in time, he's about to turn everything upside down. After all that he said here and all he's focused on him, he says, I, that many times, that he's building up to something. And this is how he finishes these words. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Literally, I can do all this through a union with the one who strengthens me. I, another way to say it is, I can't do this on my own. There's no way I can do this independently. I need God. I could never get through what I've gotten through on my own. I was thinking about the way I was influenced growing up in the church. And there was a movement where I grew up, in the culture I grew up, this wonderful movement believing in the sovereignty of God, which just means we believe God's over everything and does great things, which I think is very true. But it became so polarized this way that it became, we would call it a deistic movement or a kind of a watchmaker movement. It's the idea that you go, God gave us a brain and gave us a mind and now we need to use it. God put things in motion and then stepped back. He's not really engaged in this. And oftentimes in the church even, we do this. We use phrases even like this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've heard that all over the church. But it's code for this. You know, whatever I want to accomplish in whatever way, I not only can do it on my own, God actually gives me an endorsement and helps me along the way to do what I want and think should be done. I think part of the reason the room doesn't look the way we think it should supposed to is many of us, even in our Christian faith, see God as a help to our independent life. God, help me to have the life I want that I will find the joy and peace I want and self-create. I don't think we can have that life. And I think even when we get it, we find it's not fulfilling. It's, it's no wonder to me that we live in a time of greatest comfort and greatest benefit personally and are the most unrest and the most unhappy. And now that we have more taken away from many of us, we don't know what to do. Because we've somehow said, I can do all things. You know what, Christ strengthens me and he helps me along the way. It's what I want. It's the life I think I should have. It's the way the room should look. And what Paul discovered is, I can't do anything on my own. 
I can't do any of this on my own. I am dependent. (laughs) It is one of the most hopeful, comforting things for me as a person of faith. In my discovery and walking with Jesus, it's not a distant watchmaker. It's not a deistic God who sets things in motion and steps back. It's a God who loves you, every single one of you, me, all of us, and says, I want to walk closely with you, in union with you, through Christ, in union with you, through connection, in union with you. Do you know the God of the universe wants to be close? He wants you to be dependent. He made you to need him. He made you to be dependent, not in a sense that you were made flawed, but in the sense that he made you. He's the creator. He's the one that actually brings help and purpose and meaning. Do you know how incredibly wonderful it is in the midst of what we're going through right now? I don't know what's gonna change and I don't know when it's gonna change and what new it will be. And I can't do it on my own. I need Christ. Christ through you. I need you. I need your strength. I need your help. It is a call out away from an independent life to one of dependence and connection to him. That's what Paul's saying here. He throws it upside down to their culture. We keep thinking we can do it on our own and we can't. I need Christ. I want to take you back to the first verse because it's connected to this, I think. Where Paul began was in this. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Literally, when it says you renewed, it means it blossomed. New life was revived into you. And yet they didn't do anything to meet his need. I think what he's speaking here is it's in the Lord and he's speaking about the community. He's saying, you know what? I actually am interdependent. I need the community to bring courage to me. Paul is sitting alone in Rome in prison and what he's found out is not that they've met his needs. They haven't been the ones to fix it. He's found out they brought courage to him by even caring and being connected. In a sense, Paul begins with the strength in the Lord they bring. By the way, It's one of the things I want us to remember and always think about. I I hear this message going around all the time, we can do it together. And it's this wonderful ideal that the community of people will change the world. And one of the clear things that we understand in Christ is our community is founded in who he is, not who we are. It's honestly saying, I don't even know how to care for other people on my own. But man, in Christ and dependent on him, I can actually have courage and want to know your struggle and your ache. You want to know why we asked at the beginning of the message for you to text the word work to us to know who's unemployed? Because we care in Christ. God is giving us a compassion for each other to go, man, I ache knowing that your life is difficult matters to me. And Paul knew that. He understood, guess what? Even though they're not the ones meeting the need, even though it's God that I'm truly dependent, I'm interdependent because they actually bring courage to me. That's where he began and then where he ends is, I can only do this through him. I need him to give me strength. I can only change through him. I can only find contentment through him. It makes me think about what you're going through today, what I'm going through today. You know, we all get hit hit with things we don't expect in the midst of this. And I'm not telling you, you have to grit it up enough to figure out how to be joyful and content. I'm telling you, you actually get to say to God, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to deal with this. Help. See, I don't don't think contentment is found in a momentary transition or a momentary overcoming. I think it's found in moment by moment dependence. 
that in the midst of what we go through and don't know how to deal with and do struggle, we call out to Jesus, be in connection with me and strengthen me because I don't know how to deal with it. And God goes, I'm here. You don't have to do this alone. In fact, you weren't made to do this alone. You're here to rely on me. And there's a secret in that. There's a learning in that. You know, Paul had walked this whole life of religiosity before he knew Christ. This life where he literally did everything on his own and tried to do more and more for God and did everything he could to achieve. And by the time he follows Christ through all that he's going on and even the miserable things he's dealing with, he calls his former life, which was everything great, rubbish. He calls it garbage. He literally calls it crap. I mean, what would it be like for you and me to go, the best that I have is crap. And man, what I want is dependence on God. What I want is to ask Jesus to help me because I can't do this alone. I think the way we find joy is when we actually find our desperation and stop trying to live independently of him. I would say it very simply this way for you. I think contentment itself, it is a journey into dependence on Jesus. I think it brings his strength. I think it's one that's meant to not be alone, but encouraged by his people, meaning they give us courage in our own journeys and we will discover the mystery of joy and peace the more we say we need you regardless of circumstance. And make no difference, make no uh, misnomer about this. When you have things going well, this is even more important. Because when life goes well, we call ourselves blessed for our independent way of living, not for our dependence. Imagine the greatest things that go well in your life to say that's not what matters. What matters is what God does and who he is for me. I want to invite us to respond in prayer today. I think for many of us as Christians, we would say we follow Jesus, but we live in an independent life. He is a means to an end as long as we get the things we want. And the invitation to truly building a life of contentment, to taking this journey in the good, the bad, and the ugly is to find a new way in this room, a new door that says, Jesus, I'm dependent on you, not me. I let go of the things that I thought would give me peace and say, that's rubbish. I want you and I need you. I can't do this alone. I think for us as followers of Jesus, even though we espouse it, we treat him like a watchmaker and we treat him more like a means to an end. It's come and do what I need. Set the world in motion. I'll do it on my own. I'm a strong guy. I gotta try harder. And he's calling us to just let go and I can't do this. And the crazy part is the mystery is revealed as we're dependent. He gives peace and he gives joy in all circumstances. He does something to fill us differently. And then I think there are some of us today that just haven't even gotten to that point. And I don't mean it with any disregard or disrespect. You maybe even have been around the church a long time. You maybe haven't been in decades. But you haven't really said to Jesus, I need you. You know, that's the anchor of our faith. We say we can't pay for our sin, our debt. And we recognize his death paying for us. We recognize his resurrection of the new life he wants to give us out of it and his giving us his spirit to actually help us to be near to him, to be in him, to be connected to him, that we can be dependent on him. And for you, it might just be a prayer, Lord, save me. And I think there's some of us here who the journey's getting more, oh, I really want to know more. And so I'm going to pray for us in a minute, but you'll see at the bottom of the screen now that you can text the word saved or searching 
as we pray. And if you respond in either of those ways, I wanna invite you to text so we can keep checking in. And I want all of us who already follow to go, how can we pray and have God meet us? Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd meet each person where they need you today. God, I pray for the gift of contentment, the journey of contentment to become more real. Lord, we set aside thinking you're a means to an end or it's up to us, our independent way of living, and we say we need you. We can't live in this circumstance without your strength and your help, so bring it. And Lord, I pray for those today who wanna follow you for the first time, who want to be saved, who say, I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your new life. You can even pray it that way. Lord, give me your forgiveness and your new life. I need you. And Lord, I pray for their salvation. They would be encouraged to know you are there, you're with them, and you're filling them now. And Lord, I pray for those searching that they would take another step. It wouldn't just be contemplating, but they would actually pursue the questions they have and we would know how to engage, be with them too. I pray all of this in your holy name, amen.